Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Continental O-E-T-S. You can find weird things in your car, not just petrified French fries or melted crayons. Live snakes. Weird, bizarre trinkets. Stuff that makes you wonder, what the hell are folks thinking when they're driving? Anyway, you can also find Continental Belts. Bet you didn't know they're OE in millions of Chrysler, Dodge, Ford, BMW, VW, and GM vehicles. Continental is launching a new aftermarket multi-V belt with the OE pedigree. It's their OE technology series. Fanatically engineered for a perfect fit. Form and function for over 98% of vehicles on the road in the U.S. and in Canada. Continental. OE Technology Series Multi-V Belt. The belt with the OE pedigree. Get the full story at OETechnologySeries.com. That's OETechnologySeries.com. Hey, everyone. It's Adam Carolla, and welcome to another episode of Going Racing. The show that highlights the fastest cars, best races, biggest celebrities in the automotive world. And now here's a conversation with Mario Andretti. We do have good news for you guys tonight because uh, Mario Andretti is uh, with us and he's backstage and he's going to start his way to the stage. So big hand. Put your hands together. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mara, why don't you uh, have a seat uh, over here? We'll see if his uh, mic's uh, heated up. Uh, Mario, uh, thank you for joining us. We're all, of course, huge, huge fans. Um, I think, you know, everyone's a fan of Mario Andretti. Uh, Everyone sort of grew up with Mario Andretti. Um, But I think when you walk through the halls here and you see all the different vehicles he raced, especially in a time where people sort of pick a sport, you know, you either play baseball or you play football or you play basketball. And every once in a while, there's a Bo Jackson that comes along and plays two sports or a Deion Sanders who plays two sports. But when you see all the sports Mario Andretti did and uh, uh, it's it's that much more impressive when you pass the Pikes Peak car out there, when you pass the NASCAR, when you pass the GT40. Um, are you thankful that you came up in an era where you could drive everything? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Um, feel blessed, actually, because uh, <clears throat> I, you know, my ambition was obviously to try to experience. Uh, the different disciplines, because as you know, our sport at the top level, you have uh, disciplines that you can just uh, potentially specialize in and be very happy. You know, like uh, 
just to give you an example, like uh, Richard Petty, you know, on a stock car, he never was in a sports car, never was in something else, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, but I felt that uh, my specialty was open wheel, single seaters, and you know, which uh, is pretty widespread because of the the dirt tracks. That's where I started in. You know, the midget sprint cars. And then, um, of course, the, the champ cars, the Indianapolis cars, and then Formula One. But there's also sports prototypes, long-distance racing, you know, that uh, I thought that was very fascinating. And, uh, and I, you know, I'd love to be able to have the opportunity to drive for the top teams like uh, Ferrari, Porsche, you know, along the way. And, you know, Le Mans, Daytona, 24-hour, Sebring. And on, you know, and many of the others. So anyway, like, uh, uh, I, I got so much satisfaction out of being able to do that. And not just do it, but be able to win, you know, in different disciplines where it's not necessarily your specialty. In the, in the different types of racing that you've done over the years, by the way, 111 career wins. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Thank you. What... What was it about the different forms of racing that appealed to you most? Was it, was it the spectacle of F1, or was it just the challenge of the car, open wheel, and what makes you, like, and then you go and you do Le Mans. Is it, is it because you just want to run Le Mans, or just because you want to run a particular type of car? Yeah, I mean, uh, from a driver's standpoint, uh, the challenge is to be able to master that particular type of car, because... As you say, it's a little bit outside of your specialty, if you will. But, and each car is like an animal, you know, like a, a wild animal. They're all different, you know. And uh, as an animal tamer, tamer you know, like uh, you say, uh, you've got to try to make each one of these animals purr. Otherwise, they're <laughs> going to kill you. You know, so a race car is almost the same thing, you know, to, to try to understand the nuances and then what the car really wants, what it responds to. Uh, some are quicker, you know, like a laser, as far as they be able to, uh, to react and move around. Others are lazier and uh, easily overdriven. So you got to be able to slow down to go fast. And, but all of these things, however, uh, teach you and bring you another dimension as far as knowledge of the dynamics of, of cars, period. And I thought that um, being able to, uh, to venture to other disciplines, it really helped me understand more what's going on, you know, in our world and benefit, ultimately, because um, I, could, I could adapt, you know, to even, uh, you know, what I love, the Indy cars or Formula One, uh, sometimes adapt if the cars were not the way that I really wanted to be. But I was able to find a way, you know, to drive, so I could overcome some of that, you know, the fact that we're on maybe not as balanced as they were. So all that I felt, you know, career-wise, it benefited me. But benefit is one thing, and, and the passion and the love for driving something else. And fundamentally, I just love driving a race car, period. Yeah. The, um, Number one in men's below-the-belt grooming, precision-engineered tools for the family jewels. See what I did there? I made a little Nipsey Russell-esque rhyme. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Do not worry about uh, chipping those 
very precious stones you have down there. And you don't want to use the same buzzer you use to shape your goatee or your sideburns. Down below, have a separate tool for that. Manscaped redesigned the electric trimmer so it's a lot safer, a lot faster, and a lot easier. And it has a proprietary skin-safe technology. Won't nick or snag the nuts, so don't use the trimmer use on your face down there. Get Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with the code RACING at manscaped.com. 20% off plus free shipping at Manscaped with the code RACING. Adam, it was like you were saying, it's, it's difficult for any one professional athlete to, to have the range that someone like Mario Andretti does. This isn't about becoming the best IndyCar driver. It's about becoming the best driver. And like, who, like, you can't do it if you're a golfer or a tennis player. You can't be the best ball player. Right. <laughs> you know, and hit every type well, of ball. Or... And, and also, it's an era that we'll, we'll never see that era again. It's, it's like in football when guys played offense and defense. You know, I don't think anyone can sort of challenge you for greatest driver of all time anymore because no one's going to be able to drive in that many different varied events. And one of them, the one that, I don't know why, but it, it, it struck me the most was Pike's Peak. And, uh, you know, Pike's Peak is dangerous and, and scary, and doing it in that champ car out there without a roll cage seems more dangerous and more scary. And uh, being the first man to do it in under 12 minutes, I believe, can you tell us the story of Pike's Peak and Mario Andretti? Well, uh, that's quite the story because, uh, you know, I was always uh, traveling around very friendly with the answers and uh, uh, Bobby especially. And, uh, and he just finally talked me into running Pike's Peak because that was, that was their thing. I mean, that was their playground. They, uh, obviously, you could not beat an answer at Pike's Peak, period. They, they knew it so well. And uh, uh, the thing that's uh, really weird about that particular event is the fact that uh, unless you spend weeks of time there just going up and down, up and down, and, and really figure out it's got, I don't know how many hundreds of turns and so on and so forth in the 12 miles all the way up. Uh, and, and I didn't have the time to do that. So, but when you, during practice, you practice one-third, then, and then the next day, one third, the other third, and then the top. Mm-hmm. And that's the way, because they had different classes. They had stock cars, they had, the, you know, and the Indy car. I mean, yeah, then the champ cars. So the different categories, so they couldn't, you know, because... Go uh, all the way up the Go all the way up. So anyway, front. and when you qualify, it was only from starting line to Glencoe, which is midway. So right. the only time you did it full was race day. And so even though you have it in your head... And even the night before, you go, okay, God, uh, we know we're up there, we're on a tree line, and that's and so on and so forth. Especially a couple of years, like one, one, one area they call it the Devil's Playground. It's uh, you're up above the tree line, and uh, and it's actually your top speed will be at like 125, 130 miles an hour. Uh, it's almost a, it, you're at the top. You're probably at about 10,000 feet already, 
And it's got a, uh, the straightaway's got a, s- a downhill slope. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it's got a, a right-hander and no guardrail, and you could drop down 2,000 feet. So, uh, I mean, and, and during practice, I'm said, okay, this is a rock number one, number two, this is where I'm going to back off. And on race day, you know, you have, uh, of course, a lot of people on the sidelines, and you lose your bearings. Right. And, you don't uh, see your markers. You see your markers, and uh, you have no idea uh, how many, how much risk I took, you know, that when I won, because... Uh, um, quite honestly, I felt the areas where everybody was going to back off because, uh, you know, if, if, if you, uh, you know, if you go over the side, a bird will, they used to say the bird will build a nest up your butt before you reach the bottom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and they were right, <laughs> you know, but, uh, so these are the areas where I, I really, uh, took a lot of risk, you know, going deeper and just really pitch it sideways and, and I made it, and, you know, this was the fourth, the third time that I, that I raced there. And um, so when I won it, I figured I'm never coming back because I said, there's no way. When I got to the top, I said, man, I need a shot, you know, whiskey hey, at, here. At that point, the answers were probably like, thanks, buddy, you're Call out. Me down, you're done. You know? <laughs> it's our mountain. You're yeah, done. It was, uh, it was one of those, you know, it just, uh, it was way, uh, a lot of risk, but, uh, you know, a lot of satisfaction goes with it because you know that you got away with it. You know, you got to dodge a few bullets. We were uh, we were talking backstage uh, about uh, so we had talked some years ago. I think when the movie uh, Rush came out with uh, the Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, uh, the Hunt, and uh, Nikki Lotta film, and uh, Mario was telling me that it was a little miffed that uh, when they were looking at the leaderboard and Hunt was got third place or did he get fifth place or do we know, they sort of cropped Mario out who won the race at the top. And I literally saw Brian Grazer yesterday and I told him Mario's pissed. <laughs> and we're going to see him tomorrow and we're going to tell him. And he, he, he did laugh, but we were, you know, if you watched a movie, it's a really good movie, but obviously the, the focus of the movie is, is Hunt, who came in third place, but Mario won that race in that downpour in, uh, I'm not sure, what part of Japan was that in, sorry? Mount Fuji. It was Mount Fuji. Fuji. And that's an incredible race, yeah. and... Uh, for those of you who saw the film, I, I think it'd be nice to sort of walk us through that day and that deluge <laughs> in winning that race. Well, again, you know, it was uh, the, the starting of, start of the race was coming up, and uh, I mean, uh, and the skies just opened. I mean, a deluge. And uh, as drivers, we were trying to see if they could get uh, the organizers to delay the race by maybe 30 minutes. And they said because of TV, they they said no, we got to go, and and circumstances were really dire. I'm telling you, and uh, you know, in Formula One, uh, you don't just uh, you know do pace laps or anything else. You know, you just go, you start standing start, and you go. And in those days, uh, you didn't even do one lap like they do now, then stop and go. You had to just go. You got in the car. And that was a start. And quite honestly, I mean, the, the aquaplaning 
was unbelievable. Down the straightaway, especially. The straightaway was the worst part. I mean, they would just pop, pop, pop. You know, you can keep the car straight. And, you know, a lot of guys went off and so forth. And, uh, you know, I was uh, lucky. I was able to just keep it on the track. And, uh, and everything went well, you know. Uh, and James also uh, obviously kept it on there. And he couldn't catch me, uh, you know, because it, the, the track was drying. And, of course, with the, uh, with, with the uh, rain tires, you know, the rain tires start coming apart, you know, because of their soft rubber and everything else. So it was a kind of a strategy thing. And uh, uh, I was wondering, you know, as a leader, what the hell are you going to do? You know, do I stop for... For dry tires at the end, you know, for the last five, six laps. Because with dry tires, all of a sudden you pick up 10, 12 minutes a lap. I mean, uh, seconds a lap. So anyway, I know that Hunt went in the pits for, uh, toward the end of the race for, for, uh, for slicks. And, uh, and he was catching, but I mean, I was, I was far enough ahead of him. And I was hunting for wet spots toward the end. The race everywhere, you know, so I could stay in the wet and keep the tires together. And I still beat him by more than a lap. Did, uh, yeah, but if you saw the movie, you couldn't tell. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it seemed like James Hunt may have won that race. Um, I guarantee you I did it, though. <laughs> Tune in next week for another episode of Going Racing. New episodes available on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts.